Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Before any of the youngsters are even dismissed, let's let's just uh, will you just continue to pray with me as a as God's family, um, Lord? It's on my heart to offer you this prayer. You, in your Word, it tells us, and you have said that um, it's like children that we receive your kingdom. In fact, your Word establishes the idea that the younger we are, the more, the more we are positioned <laughs> to receive your kingdom. It's a crazy thing. And so, Lord, as, as we dismiss um, the youngsters, we ask that in, in that spirit we pray. Lord, we ask that there would be a great receiving of your kingdom among our kids, among our, among our teenagers, your kids. And, and finally, Lord, I ask that you would, you would make us, you would make us adults like children this morning, that we would be able to receive all that you have. In the name of Jesus, amen. Kids are dismissed to Children's Church. Uh, middle school, high school are dismissed upstairs to the living room for Altitude Youth. There is a lot of young people in this place. <clears throat> I'm struggling here. I'm very emotional this morning. <laughs> Lord, let me be able to speak. <clears throat> um I have something really powerfully on my heart um, to teach about this morning. And um, thank you, Father. <laughs> and I will do that in just a minute. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're going into a new year. You know that the 2020 starts on Wednesday. And so it is time to to teach something on newness. You know, God's always doing new things, so it's not hard. In fact, there's no, you know as well as I do that there's no new morning where he's not doing a new thing. Um, Jesus says, um, geez, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still struggling. Bear with me. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. No, no, I don't think that would help. <laughs> Just water. Um, he's, Jesus states very clearly, he says, um, my father's always working and so therefore I'm always working. He's always working. Three things I can promise you for 2020. He is going to do things. <laughs> he is. Um, with you, for you, in you, he is going to do things. In fact, he's already about it. Um, second thing I can promise, and um, I'm forgetting what I'm supposed to promise in all of this emotion, is that um, he, and this one's funny, so I'm, I'm going to try to say it this well. He's going to do things 
that are foundations for things he's going to do. <laughs> Did you catch it? In other words, there's a lot of things that um, the Lord is doing <laughs> I'm going to pull it together. <laughs> Can you all feel the spirit in this place? I don't think it's just emotion. I think he's pouring out love. <clears throat> Okay, so I'm going to try this. <laughs> uh, many of the things that the Lord does in our life, especially the ones that don't make sense, but many of the things that he does in our life are foundations for things that he's doing. Um, we see that every year. You can probably see that every day in your life. I mean, sometimes I know that I'm living in the fulfillment uh, partial fulfillment, but the fulfillment of things that he spoke to me like 25 years ago, okay? Somewhere from between here and there, there was a lot of great stuff, there was a lot of pain, but he, he never stopped working, he, he never stopped making sense even when it didn't make sense to me, okay? Can you all relate with that? Okay. Um, the other thing, and I'm just going to put out a third thing. I promise he's always doing this too. And this, this one will be weird. I'll give a little explanation. Um, he does things. Now let me get this. Let me look at my note again. One of the, the, one of the things that I can promise he's going to do in the new year is he's going to put things on hold until his people are ready for it. Isn't that an odd one? But I'm telling you, um, just in case you're like smoking, like what's he talking about? The greatest example is he frees um, his people from bondage in Egypt. They start out across the wilderness and for 40 years he puts things on hold. They, they don't just immediately enter the promised land. In fact, he so, he so stubbornly wants to make sure that we're a people that are able to receive what he has to give that he makes sure that he's, he's making us ready for it. Does that make sense? And why is that? Because what he has to give, and this is some of what we're going to talk about this morning for a new year, what he has to give is, is so overwhelming, it's so enormous and so full of glory that you do actually have to be prepared. I mean, the world gives us things that we can just we can just take it and that's great but the things of God are so overwhelmingly full of glory in his love for us in his delight for us as his children that we actually have to be prepared for the things that God wants to give does that does that work okay all right, now I want you to read with me. Um, um, this morning we're going to be talking about prayer. And my prayer <laughs> as we talk about this is that the Lord is going to establish a new kind of conversation with his people this year in this church, in this church family. A, a, deeper, um, a deeper conversation, a deeper type of prayer um, than we've had before. Do you want that? Me too. Me too. In fact, I'll just be transparent and say this is an area where I struggle. This was a very convicting message for me to prepare as I, as I listened, as I studied and looked into it. Um, it, was, it was difficult for me because I found myself in conviction a lot of the time. But um, turn with me to John 16 and verse 23. And we're just going to read a few words of Jesus where he talks about prayer. 
And we're starting in the middle of something, so this is just introduction. Um, We're going to get into a larger passage in a bit, but here Jesus is speaking and he says, in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, here it is, now listen, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, I'm just going to point out a couple of things here. Um, First of all, either Jesus is a terrible exaggerator, okay, or we've got something to learn here. Do you agree with me? How many of you, do you all have all of your prayers answered all the time just the way you want? No, No, me neither. Um, so, so what is it? This is not the only place Jesus speaks like this. There are a couple. There are many places where he speaks on prayer and he says, what you ask in my name, you'll get. Because I'm that good, because I'm, I'm that crazy about you, because that's, that's my father's will for his children and, and it's often not our experience. So I'm going to suggest we have something to learn about our conversation with God if we're going to live in the truth and the fulfillment of what, of what Jesus just said right here. Do you know that um, the second thing I need to point out really is the end of that, that your joy may be full. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. Now, listen, I just want you to note that in the heart of God is that, is that we are to have answered prayer. Does that resonate with you? I mean, um, it's okay if, if I just said, does that resonate with you? And you're like, no. <laughs> because, and I, I put that permission, that freedom out there because there are so many times in life where we're praying, we're asking him with, with a good heart, we're asking him for things and, and we're, not, we're not receiving it. And so it's okay if you said no, but I mean, what I want to point out is that in the heart of the Father, in the will of the Father, he does mean for us to live in a realm of answered prayer. In fact, he attaches it, not just here, in many places, he attaches it so strongly to our joy that in the absence of answered prayer, we might expect an absence of joy. We should be disturbed when we're living in a realm of unanswered prayer. I believe that. I believe that. If you, if you don't, if you're struggling so far, it's okay. I'm just saying, I believe that. I believe it should be disturbing. He means for us to be a people of prayer. That, In fact, the world is looking at us to be a people of prayer where our prayer is answered. Where we have a conversation with God that releases the courts of heaven on behalf of people. I'm very convicted even as I speak these words. I speak these words with trembling. Does it make anybody tremble, what I'm talking about? Yeah, but I I believe that. I believe Jesus is not an exaggerator. He speaks these words because he means them. Okay, um, go to Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to read in verse 14. I think I've read this verse for the the past several Sundays, if I'm not mistaken. It's a verse on love. (laughs) 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is praying. Okay, he's bowing his knees. 
from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now I have to stop here. My son's been memorizing this verse for a speech thing and I'm, I'm telling him, he's having, on that part right there, he's having a hard time memorizing it and I'm, I'm like, it's because you don't get it. It would be easy to memorize, and now I'm going to illustrate, I don't have it memorized, but it would be easy to memorize if you realized it's saying that he would grant you Grant you what? According to the riches of his glory. That's a measure word. Grant you how much? According to the riches of his glory. You can meditate on that for like nine hours. And still not get it. To be in fact, in fact, in this scripture, I'm going to show you that it takes the power of God. It actually takes the power of God to get it. To have a revelation on the way he loves. It's a miracle to have a revelation on the way he loves, especially in a world that lies to us almost continuously. The world lies about his love continuously. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Anybody need some of that? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able, you see, it's rooting and grounding in love that makes us able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, something beyond what we can just think about, a knowing that's deep in the spirit, man, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's his plan. That's the glory he's talking about, filled with his fullness. Now to him who, and this is really the good news part, verse 20, if your mind's not blown yet, now to him who is able, to him who is able, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It requires a power working in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think I just had to do that because... um, well, like I always say, we have to start in love, and I'm, there's going to be some hard things this morning. So, 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 Lord, our prayer is that we are so rooted and grounded in your love, no matter what we're facing at the moment, that we can receive what you have for us. Give us the hearts of children that have nothing else but to go to our Father. Okay, go with me to um, Philippians chapter 3, um, verse 12. This is Paul writing, and I'm just going to put out there before we even read it, he's, he's writing about a mind that is spiritually mature, even though it's not utterly evident at first. I, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe, yeah, it's stated in there, but you won't see it at the beginning. He's reading about a mature mind. And in verse 12 it says, um, Not that I've already attained or am already perfected. Now he's really not talking about being perfect, Um, that word perfected probably more closely translates to like completed or like when Jesus spoke his last words on the cross and he said it's finished. It's it's that kind of perfected that he's talking about. And he's, he's bringing a great humility. He's saying, not that I've attained it. And he goes on and says, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
Those are huge words if you've never met it. He presses on to lay hold of that for which he's laid hold of. Will you just say this, with, say, um, say this for me? That he has laid hold of me and it's, it's for something. You are laid hold of so there's something for you to get a hold of that he's laid hold of you for. There's, there's purpose in that. And, and let me just caution, I'm, I think you're going to see it in this passage, but it's not purpose like, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with calling like I'm supposed to do this or the Lord wants me to do this. I believe this is talking about, because he just said it, being completed, being perfected. This is talking about purpose in his delight in you, who you're becoming, not what you're doing. He presses on to lay hold of what, what he's becoming, it's in the language there. And he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. You see the humility here. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus in me. Wait, I think I added the end me. <laughs> That's how I think of it. I personalize this. Um, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now say this with me. You're, you are specifically laid hold of for a high calling, an upward call. You can't really say that, can you? <laughs> I'm, I'm laid hold of, say this with me, I'm laid hold of for a high call. It's true of every person. Now, now this is leading us somewhere. Um, he continues, let me see, he continues and he says, and if anything you think otherwise, so if there's anything that lies to you or about his love, about his plans for you, he says, if, and if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. In other words, he's, he's that good. It's not like he even leaves it like any father would to a child. He doesn't leave it to us to have to carry the burden of making sure we make it to our high call. Anything, anything that, that is contrary to God's love, extravagant love plan for your becoming, he will reveal even this to you. He takes that responsibility for you. That's crazy love. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. He's describing a mature mind. Now, here's what I've got to say. This is not even our passage. It's just leading us. So what I have to say is, in other words, the mature mind is a mind that stayed on the fact that God is taking me somewhere. No matter how much this world lies, the, the mature mind, and what, what I really need to say, help me here, Lord, the mature mind is a mind that is, that is obsessed <laughs> with the purposes of God, with the things of the kingdom, is what's described if you look very closely in what we read. He is, he is having us becoming, and we're obsessed with that. Now that's going to lead us back to something about prayer. In fact, go with me to James 4, and we're almost there. I know I'm making you wade through stuff, and I'm um, sorry about and Actually, I'm not sorry about that because it's leading us somewhere so good, but we, we need this in order to see what we're going to look at. James 4 is also about prayer. James 4, verse 1. 
You're probably, many of you are probably familiar with this. And it starts out, he's starting to talk about there's, there's actually relational strife in the church that he's writing to. Yeah, yeah no, it happens sometimes. It does. <laughs> relational strife, relationships that are at odds, not that the people don't love each other. You don't see that they're completely out of love or that, that they hate each other or anything like that. But he's addressing strife, and it's going to show us why. And he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? He's speaking of, of, a, of a fleshly realm where we want what we want when we want it. Even when it, even when it looks good, it looks holy. It's, it's a mindset that's not mature. It's a mindset that is just seeking after, I need this, I want this. And it says, you lust and do not have. Now, I want you to note, often we think of lust as like, like um, sexually or very carnally, and, and it is carnal, but I want you to expand a little bit. I think we're, this lust that he's talking about here is, is just a lust for, I, I want what I want. Lust. <laughs> and it's attached to, you do not have. Do you see it? And he says, you murder and covet. Now these are more, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. Do you see what's attached to not being able to ob- obtain? Murder and coveting. And again, I, I would suggest, you know, places say anger is the beginning of murder. So we're not talking about literally killing each other necessarily. It's just, the point is, lack is connected to fleshly attempts, all the ways lust, covet, all of these ways that we attempt to meet our own need for ourselves. That's, that's what this is saying. We're trying to meet our need in, in these carnal ways, and it is what leads to our lack. Now, it is leading to talk about prayer. He goes on and says, you fight in war. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, listen, tell you, I know you've heard that scripture before, and you, you'd probably be like, well, there's been lots of times in my life where I knew I didn't have, and I was asking. But I want to tell you what this is describing. This is describing, we, we eventually, when we're tra- in the context, when we're trying to meet our need in our own ways, in, in this physical world, fleshly ways, instead of finding our need met in God, that can't be touched. Instead of doing it that way, we eventually we get to a point where we literally quit asking. Because we get into a mode, can anybody relate? We get into a mode where we, we don't even necessarily have a faith for answered prayer anymore. I'm not saying it's completely gone. I'm just saying we try a whole bunch of other things first before we're thinking, I need to ask because my father's good. And it goes and says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you spend it on your own pleasures. Now, if anybody's feeling condemned, stop it. (laughs) there's no condemnation this is teaching this is the encouragement of the Lord because he wants all the best for you this is not a condemning word and that's not where we're going (laughs) it's a convicting word I had plenty of that preparing this message but I want to break this down a little bit he says you ask amiss do you know a, a mess can literally translate as diseased or you ask grievously you ask miserably in other words In other words, let me give you this. It's like we ask more focused on what the problem is 
more overwhelmed by the problem than we are overwhelmed by who he is in our asking. That's a miss. And it literally translates like diseased, sick, sore, sorely, we ask. And it says that you spend it. Now let me tell you, this doesn't even actually have a direct translation, so that part of the sentence is almost like made up <laughs> on the words that are there. It's, it more literally means to waste. So like in the best possible sense, to incur a cost. In the worst possible sense, um, in the worst sense, to waste. So in other words, your prayers are asked amiss to its waste. The bold access to the throne where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father where all authority for life and blessing come, he's, he's rebuking them for asking amiss, for asking in, in, a, in a grievously, from, from a place of misery instead of a place of awe over who he is. And, and it's to waste it and then on your pleasures. Pleasures, this is the word in other places, is translated lust. So we're talking about so we're not talking about what we often think of when we think of lust. We're just talking about meeting need in our own way instead of finding the source of everything we need in God, and that's the way we ask. That's the conversation we have. I know it's heavy. Um, y'all are very quiet. And then he goes on and says, Adulterers and adulteresses. What the heck is that? That's that, you know, all through the scripture, the metaphor of, of adultery, of unfaithfulness is used for, for when need is met elsewhere. For, you know, it's, it's synonymous with idolatry. It's synonymous with, with um, looking to get your needs met somewhere besides God. Okay? And this is all in a conversation of prayer. In, in a knowledge, remembering that Jesus is either a great exaggerator or he believes that we're supposed to be living in a realm of answered prayer. Thank you, Lord. He says, and just in case you wonder if I'm stretching, it says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, friendship with the world is, is positioning to be an enemy of God. Not necessarily the conscious, um, the conscious desire to be an enemy of God, just making friends with the world, just thinking that, that the pleasures, that needs, that sustenance can actually be, be had from the world makes us, uh, positions us to be at odds with him. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Do you remember in the Christmas passage in the past weeks, we've been pointing out that what, what performs, do you remember what, what performs all of that prophecy of God, Jesus coming? His jealousy. <laughs> his zeal. It's translated zeal, but the real translation is jealousy. It's his jealousy for you that performs great love. Okay, that's my introduction. <laughs> now we're gonna um, we're gonna look at Solomon, and this is the whole purpose. We're gonna look at a conversation that he has with God. 
uh, we're going to find out, and I just want to tell you in advance, we're going to find out that um, it's going to say God appears to him. But I want to give you something before we read it, because I'm going to tell you what I think we do. I think we read in the word of God that God appears to some people, and we're, we're like, wow, like, um, wouldn't that be marvelous? Like, can you imagine God, God appeared to him? Now, I want to tell you that God is appearing to you, I promise you, because I know how he delights in you. I know how crazy about you he is. So he appears to you regularly. <laughs> and I need you to approach this story this way. He appears to him in a dream. You're going to find out he does it in his sleep. Anybody ever had a dream where, where God was there in that dream? Okay, I want to tell you there's a, there's a thousand ways that a good father appears to the ones that he delights in, to his children. So you, you need to start, you need to um, enter this story that way, not thinking how crazy for Solomon or idolizing Solomon, like, man, he, got, he lived a life where the Lord appeared to him. Now, he appears to you all the time. He's crazy about you. He's appearing to you now. He's appearing to you before your day's over. I suspect highly that he's appearing to you in your sleep, in your dreams, in the details. He never takes his eyes off of you. So we have to read it that way. And I'm going to give you the context. So where we're going to pick up, did I give you the verse? You might as well be turning. It's 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're starting right at the beginning of the chapter. Okay, and where we are here, um, this is where um, David, King David, has just passed away. His son Solomon, that we're about to read about, is taking the throne. This is all brand new to him. Okay? And so I'll start reading in verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now let me point out, because that can be confusing. That's kind of like in the first verse of the Bible. It says, in, in the beginning, it describes in the beginning and then the rest of that whole chapter as if it was done, completed, and the rest of that whole chapter kind of like goes back, is contained in the first verse. Are you tracking with me? Don't be confused here. This is like that. This is, this is giving you, the first sentence is giving you big picture, and then it obviously, or maybe not so obviously, backs up and begins to give a bunch of explanation. Okay? So they are, they are still in a place where, meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for his name. Okay? And then verse 3 Every once in a while, the word of God gives us a glimpse of somebody's heart, like actually lets us find out what's in their heart. So verse 3 says, and Solomon loved the Lord. That's so critical. He's a lover of God, like you are. And it says, um, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. And I got to give you a study note here too. Usually, when the word of God says that they were sacrificing at the high places, it's, um, it's code for they were participating in idolatry 
worshiping the wrong gods. As we keep reading, you're going to find out this particular place where he's worshiping, this high place. It's going to be called the high place because they, they had a tabernacle for the Lord set up there in a context where they had not yet completed the house for his name. Okay, so Solomon is going to sacrifice in this place. And we see that in verse 4, actually, I think. Verse 4, now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? Now, when you meditate on this, you can begin to marvel at like God's writing a blank check. Are you tracking? He's basically saying, ask me. What do you want me to give you? What kind of God is this? Now, I'm going to put out there, and I really give you permission. You can agree with me or not. I'm going to put out there, I think that the Lord is always offering that blank check. I, I really do. I don't think that this is, this is a strange circumstance because it's famous King Solomon who's just taken the throne. I believe it's just the nature of God. I believe, I've, I've listened to sermons before and people say he's always, he's like, he's preparing us for the writing of a blank check. I, I think he writes a blank check. And it's, it's in the places, it's in his exaggerating, which is not exaggerating, words of Jesus where he says, ask in my name. Okay? In other words, the blank check is in his name. It's something that has to, it has to flow from the authority of the throne. It's not ask anything you want whenever you want. It's not ask from the spirit of I want what I want when I want it. <laughs> it's in his name, and this is a, a blank check. He knows the heart of Solomon, and he's saying, ask. I love the explanation point. There's, I don't think there, is there an explanation point in Hebrew? Or, or I didn't think so. I love when they throw that in. I'm not sure how they decided to put <laughs> that exclamation point there, but what shall I give you? What a crazy God. Now, this is leading somewhere. So keep reading verse 6 with me. And Solomon said, you have shown, so this is Solomon's answer. You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son. So now Solomon's speaking of himself. He's saying you've given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. And now here's his request. This is the real answer to um, what shall I give you? And he says, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king. He's speaking of himself again. He, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. In fact, I, I'm going to read a little more before I tell you what the Lord has on my heart. He goes on and says, I do not know how to go out or come in. Now listen, that's, um, it's not obvious at first glance, but that's military language. They would go out and come in. This is obviously not a military setting, but I think Solomon, is, Solomon knows something 
<laughs> he knows something about a warfare that doesn't necessarily happen in the physical battlefield, okay? He's using spiritual, he's having a conversation in a dream and the Lord's appearing to him and, and he says, I do not know how to, how to go out or come in. Now remember, just before this, it's so critical, he says, you have made, uh, you've made me the king, but I'm a little child. And then he says, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, speaking of himself, the people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge. Judge translates as lead or govern, to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Okay, now several things that are so powerfully on my heart, and this is for you. This is not for a famous guy who happened to be king. You know, you're called to reign with him. This word is for you. And, um, and what I want to tell you is that you're reading about a guy who is in awe of his calling. He, he's awestruck over what, what God would speak over his life, would call him to. And now I'm going to tell you something about you. If you're not awestruck about a calling that God speaks over you, then you don't see your calling. If that, if that doesn't make you awestruck with a love of what he's speaking into your future. Our God is not a discriminator. <laughs> he loves, he doesn't have a limitation on love where, where this amount goes here and, and um, I am his favorite, but you're also his favorite. Solomon was a favorite, but so are you. I don't know how he does that, it's crazy. But if you're not in awe of your calling, and that's what we're reading about here, then you don't see your calling. You see, he understands, listen to his language. He's saying, he's saying how, how can I do this with your people? <laughs> your great people. And, and just before this, he's saying, I'm a little child. Now let me tell you, I'm guilty in the past of what I'm about to say, and I want to tell you how I think we normally look at, y'all are familiar with this story, right? And, and the idea is what we get in our mind is that um, God says, um, ask anything and I'll give it to you. That's what we're reading. And he says, um, and Solomon was wise enough to ask for wisdom, right? Like, whoa, what a wise man. He knew to ask for wisdom. I want to tell you something, that's, that, that's not what we just read. He doesn't have the wisdom yet <laughs> because he's asking for it. So let's backtrack. What are we really reading? He's saying, he's saying I'm like a little child. I want to tell you what it is. It's not wisdom that's make it, that, that makes the foundation of his blank check request. He's freaking out. I'm serious. If you really look at the words, that's what's going on. He just took the throne. He's 20 years old. Now, probably when he was younger, I don't know, when he was a, a fifth grader, if the Lord said, ask me whatever you want, he might have said, I need acceptance with my friends or something like that. Or when he's a teenager, I, I need a girlfriend. Or I don't know what his request would have been then, but that's not this moment. This moment is a moment where he is awestruck by what, what he's being called into. He's getting a glimpse of 
of the majesty, of the glory of participation that God's calling on to his life. And it's that context when God shows up and says, I've got a blank check for you. He's freaking out. He's going, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm just a kid. And I don't even know how to go in or out. And I'm supposed to serve your people? That, that's the context of the blank check. Do you agree? Yeah. How many of you agree? Is he freaking out? I don't tell you that like a child is what positions us to pray in a way that tears open heaven, that makes it just pour out on our behalf, like a child. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6, and I think we're going to kind of start wrapping with this. We're going to read a parable here. Well, actually, is it a parable? No, it's really, it's, it's not really. It's just Jesus talking. He's using metaphors. And more often than not, I've, I've heard this, um, this parable is used to lay a guilt trip on the people of God. Um, and, and we're not going to do that. I'm going to show you what he's actually saying, okay? And then I'm going to show you how, how Solomon, I want you to know in advance, I'm going to show you how Solomon is prophetically or obediently living out Jesus' words thousands of years before he speaks them here. And it shows us something about a, about a conversation, about an intimacy where we're secure in his love in such a way that our prayer is effective. It's here, okay? Um, I, don't, I never know if I gave it to you. It's Matthew 6, 24. And he says, um, no one can serve two masters. Now here's what I've got to tell you. They had a way of, rabbis had a way of teaching where they would state the fact like that and then, and then they would go on and on and on and on in explanation. But everything that needed to be said was stated up front. It was a manner of rabbinical teaching, the way they would do things. But um, the reason I bring that up is because I'm going to tell you what it causes is we can go into the Word of God and you're going to find out we're going to start reading about worry. And um, if we don't note it just on accident, we'll think that the passage is about worry, even though it's not about worry. It's about that. It's about no one can serve two masters. Okay? So it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon, yes, it means money, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press you to think deeper. Um, money, I believe he's literally, Jesus literally is talking about money when he talks about money. But also, um, he, he uses money as a metaphor to represent finding our sustenance in the things of this world instead of having all of our need be met in God. Are you tracking? The idolatry of looking to this world for the, for the longings of our heart, for the things that, that we need, the things that we want. Okay, now go on with me, verse 25. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air, for they neither, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to its stature? So you see what I'm saying? We can start to think that this passage is talking about worry, but um, for time's sake, I'm actually going to have you go to verse 31 because there, there's more of that, more of that dialogue about worry. But then, and he goes on in verse 31 and says, Therefore, do not worry. <laughs> I'm just going to pause for a minute. Do you really, that's, that's stated in command form. Do not worry. Now, like, easy for you to say, right? Or, or like, give me a break. Do not worry. But you understand, you can only really accept this command if you're in a place where if God has built into you his extreme delight and love and sufficiency for you. In that context, he can give a command like this and it's not ridiculous. Now I'm going to show you that we're still talking about prayer. He says, therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, in other words, in this passage, Gentiles are really referring to those who have their trust into something that this world offers, who try to meet their needs in some physical, cheap thing that this world has, okay? And then, and then here it is. He says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And I tell you, that's the... Um, I don't know if you see it already, but that's the story of Solomon. He's a guy who, and the same story of, as Paul, actually, let me back up that far. But Paul says the one thing, I press on to this high calling, this high calling of being the beloved. <laughs> okay, the one thing, I press on to that. And then we've got the story of Solomon and you, got a, you have a guy who illustrates it. You have a guy who is... His, his entire desire, uh, his entire being is compulsively concerned about the high calling of God upon him in love, right? And here it's, a, and so, so what does Solomon ask for? He asks for the, the things of the kingdom and God says, I'll give you that. We always say wisdom and it does kind of say that in the, in the chronicle account, but in the king's account, it doesn't even say that. He says, give me an understanding heart. So you know what that is? That's spiritual ears. That's a spiritual ability to hear God from the spiritual realm and apply it here. I suppose that's the definition of wisdom. But he asks for the things of the kingdom. Solomon lives that. He lives, seek the kingdom of God first. When God writes a blank, when God offers him a blank check and says, ask me, he asks for the kingdom. He says, give me an understanding heart. Not... Give me what I want when I want it. Not give me a long life. Not give me riches and wealth. And what does that do? Now, I'm going to show you a principle here. I'm not saying it's going to happen instantaneously because that will lead you astray. But there is a principle. God's answer is that, and then he adds all the other things. He did that with Solomon. Solomon asked for the kingdom, and God said, Ooh, I got a blank check for that. And if that's your heart, I can give you everything else that you didn't ask for. I can open the floodgates of heaven. You, you, you positioned yourself. 
like a child. You see, being in a place where you're freaking out over the awe of who you are, do you know the, do you know the bottom line of uh, worship is, is obviously um, being awestruck over God. But I want to tell you that God made you in such a way that what causes you to have awe for him <laughs> is his love over you. In other words, if you don't have an awe over yourself, I don't care if that sounds like heresy or not, if you don't have an awe over yourself as a creature of God that is, that is the place of his lavish love and his plans, then you really have not gotten to a place where you have a proper awe for God. I mean, it doesn't make sense. In other words, you would, you would have an awe for a God who is not who he is. Are you tracking with me? Is that working for you? you? An awe over your own calling, an awe over his extravagant love and his plans for you. Open the doors of praise where you have something to give back. Causing a heart like Solomon's where, I mean, freaking out, it's like a child that is freaking out over the awe of my calling that causes me to pray in such a way that he can write a blank check. He can say, you ask anything in my name. Now where we get it, the word of God says he withholds no good thing. Where we start to kind of get mixed up and struggle a little is our definition of a good thing. We go through a lot of hard things. We have tragedies. We have losses. We um, And... We do not have, um, his thoughts are higher than ours. But his extravagant love doesn't change, and it's like a child. I'm going to just suggest this morning as you enter this new year that our prayer, when we are in the position of most freaking out, of most being like a child, where like maybe all we got is daddy, <laughs> That's all we can muster because I'm freaking out here. You asked me to you asked me to pastor a church these of your great people? <laughs> a whole room full of people that have these mighty callings? The the great people that are yours, you've got to be kidding me. It's when I'm awestruck like that in his extravagant love over me that I see my prayers answered. You let a little pride slip in, something I think I can handle myself. <laughs> I've seen it go bad. I mean, I can, I can take it from extreme blessing to going really bad in about five minutes as soon as I think I got something. I want to tell you another one. You know, in the, um, actually, I think I have it in my notes. Well, maybe I don't. Poor in spirit. And the beat, you know what I, you know what I think poor in spirit is. He, what does he say? He said, "For those that are poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The stuff of the kingdom is yours." I think it's the same thing. I really do. I think um, when he says, "Unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you you can't even enter. There's no receiving unless like a child." And I think when he says, "For the poor." For the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's the heart of a child that's poor in spirit. It's the heart that says, I got nothing. <laughs> we have appointments to minister to some people this afternoon, and I'll just, I just want to be really transparent. 
and put out there where I'm at with this. I'm trembling. <laughs> and that's just the truth. We're talking about praying for people in things, in things that are that are so weighty, that are so about the purposes of God and so beyond not my ability to do anything, but my ability to pray. I don't even know how to pray. I am so reliant on the Holy Spirit to show me, to show me and the little team of people that are going to come and minister that I, I'm freaking out. That's just the truth. That's just me being transparent. I'm freaking out like a child going, going, Father, you're going to have to even give me what it is that I'm supposed to pray. My participation in your glory makes me freak out like a child. But my faith is in him. You see, freaking out doesn't mean you fell out of the faith. Freaking out means you're in it. If you didn't have any faith, you wouldn't be freaking out about it at all. Is that the truth? <laughs> I'll take freaking out any day over thinking I got a handle on this thing. <laughs> Okay. Actually, worship team, if you would, if you would come on up and just, just give us. Um, are y'all open to doing a little listening prayer? Yeah. I mean, first of all, do you believe that he wants to answer you all the time, or have we gotten into a mode that we think if we ask him a question, fat chance we're going to get an answer? <laughs> He's not going to talk back to me, is he? Of course he is. Do you know that in awake spirit, he delights in you. He's crazy about you. He's waiting on the edge of his seat to speak back to you all the time. He says, come to me <laughs> all the time. I want to I speak to you. That's, that's listening prayer. Do you, you want to ask him some questions about this new year with me? Can you bring a faith that he wants to speak to you right now? I believe he does. And so I'm just going to um, start. I'm just going to do a simple prayer first. And Lord... Um, this world makes it hard to be awake to your presence. It, it, uh, this world makes it hard to hear your voice. And, and in the name of Jesus, we cast out any evil that wants to get in the way of the awakeness of our spirit. We ask you to open our spirit to hear from you, even right now. We thank you that you promised that your presence would never leave us. But we cry out a step further in this moment and we say, come Holy Spirit, right now, Lord. Come Holy Spirit in a way that is, that is experienceable. We want to feel your touch. We want to hear your voice inside us. We don't want our answers from anywhere else besides you. We've been led astray too many times. And in the name of Jesus, we say we are not going to be led astray. We're going to be the people that, are, that hear your voice, that are in touch with you. And Lord, for this coming year in our life, we want to ask you um, one simple question. And now, church, before I put that out there, I want you to know, I am going to give you time Sometimes it takes a minute to quiet the spirit, to, to get it out of the physical and tune it to the spiritual. And I'm going to give you that time, like at least five minutes, which will probably feel like five hours, maybe. <laughs> Lord, we have one simple question. We want to be a people 
who pray in your name. We want to be a people who, uh, who come to you like a child, believing that we will receive all good things from a good father. We don't want to ask amiss, and we don't want to base all of our prayers on, on uh, what we think we want. We want to base our prayers on what you know we want and what we need. So our question, Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak clearly, to reveal whether it's a word or a picture or a feeling. Our question is, is this year, how shall we pray? What should we ask you for?
Okay, now everybody just look at me. Look at me. What we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to pray an anointing on what you just heard. What you are to ask for, okay? We're just gonna we're just gonna pray an anointing over that word. And also, just there's no condemnation. If somebody didn't hear yet, it doesn't mean that he's he's not telling you or he's not gonna tell you. He just he has a very unique relationship. He has a relationship with you like he has with no other human being that's ever lived. And or, and he'll never have a relationship like that with anybody else ever again. <laughs> so you just you keep asking, how shall I pray? What do you want me to pray? Okay? And he's going to answer it. It might be in some unique way as you walk through this creation that he's made for you. He's going to reveal that to you. He wants to reveal that to you. He's, he does not, he's not withholding the answer to that prayer. And there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> he's not disappointed. There's nothing wrong if you didn't just hear a word. Okay, if you did just hear, or actually, if you did or you didn't hear it yet, we're going to pray an anointing over his answer. That's a degree of faith that if you didn't just get the answer, you're going to. Okay, if your heart desires that, he's going to give it. He doesn't withhold that. Okay, are you all in agreement? Do you have a faith that, that we can ask him to release an anointing on the things that he's going to have us, have you and have us corporately pray for this year? Do you have a faith for that? Okay. All right. In that case, I'm going to pray the anointing, and then, and then you all, I'll let you know when. You all just join me with, with amen, okay? All right. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you mean for us to live in the realm of answered prayer. You mean for us to be the beloved people, the family of God that the world looks at and says, wow, their prayers are answered. Their God lives and his presence is among them. You are that God. And we ask for an outpouring from your spirit, an anointing from the throne room in, in heaven over everything you've just spoke. Father, we ask, grant us a faithfulness to, to ask these things, the things of the kingdom that you have led us to pray for this year. Give us a faithfulness to pray it, a faithfulness that's not out of duty, but born out of a great faith and an anticipation that that you were not exaggerating when you said anything you ask in my name, I'm going to give you. We thank you for supplying the prayers of our heart. We receive in faith right now the answers to your prayers and your ability to accomplish them in 2020. And the family of God just says together, Amen.